All right. Amen. So let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for your love. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, all that you are doing in our hearts. Lord, thank you for the men and women that are here present in this room, but also, Father, for those that are watching now and will be watching later. Father, I thank you that um, you have uh, brought us together to speak to us, Father, to speak into us. Lord, it's your word that is living and powerful that can change even the deepest parts of us. And so, Father, we humble ourselves before you now to receive your word with meekness and humility. Father, that your word become, would become engrafted into us. Father, that it, that it would literally become a part of our personality. Lord, thank you tonight for the Holy Spirit who's leading us and guiding us into all truth. And we thank you, Father, tonight for life and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, one last thing, and I, I want to just comment on this before we pray about this. And he may be watching right now. Some of you may be familiar with a gentleman named Blake Brazil. Some of you may be at the foundry tonight because of a gentleman named Blake Brazil. Um, he is a graduate, was part of Heritage for uh, some time, attended these classes. Um, he is suffering for Jesus in, do what now? The volume is low, all right? Are you sure it's not you? All right. Okay, amen. Uh, testing one, two. You're going to have to come back in and tell me if this helps or not. We got everything pegged. Where is, uh, where is Marcos when we need him? All right. Amen. All right, we tested it um, probably for an hour and a half today and thought we had the volume right. So is that any better, Pops? Or? No, just barely here. Okay. All right. Okay, amen. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna try one more thing. Hold on, just a second. All right, let's uh, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. See, everything that I'm looking at to change is already um, in a very stout position. So uh, let me turn this a little more here. All right, and here. Amen. Is that any better? No. That any better? Oh, I heard it over there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Look at all this. Y'all are fixing to like break the universe by like. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Is that any better? Is that any better? Is that any better? Is that any better? All right. So anyway, Blake Brazil. He is suffering for Jesus in Maui. Um, the Lord is blessing him. Though he has a beautiful, wonderful job there. The Lord's prospering him and. And he shares that prosperity with World Exit Ministry to sponsor men and women coming into the foundry. But anyway, he called just before class and asked that we pray for him. There's a hurricane that's bearing down on the island there, and he's praying against it. And so he agreed to pray for us in discipleship class if we'd pray for him there uh, in Hawaii. So, Father, we just agree together with our brother Blake. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of his life and for the people that he's leading to you and helping to find you, Father. And we just come against this storm with him in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father for safety and protection. Lord, we thank you, Father, that, that um, you are there with him and you are protecting them. And we just believe you, Father, for good things now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I don't want to do that live. He didn't ask me to do that live, but I want to do that live just for, uh, for our brother. Praise God. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want us to jump in real quick at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And um, this is something we will refer back to uh, more than once, okay? But I want to uh, introduce it to some of you if you're not familiar with this passage. Uh, remind some of you uh, of it if you are familiar with it. And um, just to kind of use it as a springboard tonight as we begin. Now, in this first section of 
these classes. Um, our, our, our objective, or, or what we're going after, is to give you a better understanding of what discipleship really is. We, we said last week there's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ today about discipleship. Um, a lot of people think of discipleship as just something that you do for six or eight weeks when you first get saved, some class that you go to. And really and truly, that's simply not the case, okay? Um, uh, uh, someone who is, is a disciple is someone who has made a commitment um, to, uh, to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to become like Jesus. Amen. And, um, and so we said if, you know, discipleship is more than a commitment, but if it's anything, it involves or it is a commitment. Now, Jesus helped us understand things from his world by uh, relating them to things in our world. And so a parable, think of a comparable, a comparable, a parable. Um, Jesus would tell us stories about things that we do understand to help us better understand things that we don't. And in this parable, it's, it's uh, referred to as the parable of the sower, um, or think of it like as a farmer planting seed. And this parable is very unique because Jesus uh, said that if you can't understand this parable, you will not be able to understand all the other parables. So it's like a master key parable that will help you understand all the other important things that Jesus taught us. Now, in this parable, he talks about a farmer who is planting seed, and in the process of planting that seed, some of, some of that seed fell on different kinds or types of soil or different conditions of, excuse me, of soil. And, of course, we see how that, that different soil conditions affected the results that the farmer got from that seed, okay? Now, when Jesus breaks this parable down, he explains it as the seed represents his word that's being planted or sown, and the different soil conditions represent the conditions, different conditions of men's and women's hearts that, that receive that word, that hear that word, okay? Now let's jump in at verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Now remember, he just got through telling them the parable of the sower, so when he says hear it, he's, he's saying more than just hear the words, but to hear the meaning. In other words, connect with it on a personal, uh, individual level. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So if you plant one kernel of corn, you don't get one kernel of corn in return. You plant one kernel of corn, you get several ears of corn, right? So it's the law of seed time and harvest. What you plant comes back to you in a larger quantity or in a larger proportion than that which you planted, right? Now, what he's talking about here then with this hundredfold, sixtyfold, or even thirtyfold um, return is he's talking about 
how the Word of God has the potential to make a positive difference. Somebody say positive. A positive difference in your life. Amen? Because His Word is living and powerful. The Word of the Kingdom contains within it the very power of God unto salvation, Romans 1 says. So when someone hears that word, receives it, believes it, and confesses with their mouth, that's actually how a person becomes born again, and the power unto salvation is in the seed. It's in the seed, right? In other words, if you look at an acorn and, 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 and somebody was to tell you and you didn't know any better that an oak tree is in that acorn, you'd think they were pulling your leg, right? But it really is in there. That's the power of the seed. And so God's Word is seed. His Word is seed, and it has within it the power, the potential, to make a difference in every area of your life. This is why He has had something to say about every area of your life, because when we receive His Word into our heart by faith and allow that Word to grow and ultimately produce its fruit in our lives, amen, we see that the power of God is released in our lives from His Word to make the difference that we so desperately long for, desire, or even have urgent need of. Amen? Are you following what I'm saying here? Now, listen, I believe in instant miracles. I believe in instant deliverance. Um, I have seen and have been used by God to even cast demons out of people. I believe in all that. Don't misunderstand me. But, we, but alongside all of that, we have to understand that God's ways, God's ways are the ways of seed, time, and harvest. All right? Seed, plant the seed, nurture the seed, water the seed, don't dig up the seed, keep the seed in the ground, keep the weeds out of the seed, keep the seed healthy, grow it, nurture it, because eventually that will begin to produce fruit and, and, and resources and answers and, and, and things that can't be bought with money in your life from within you, out of you. All right? Now, you have an enemy, you did not wake up in a neutral world this morning. It's very important for you to understand that. I don't tell you that to scare you, but I tell you that just to remind you if, if, if you already knew it or to, or to teach you that if you, if you haven't ever heard that, okay? Um, the world that we live in is not neutral. The world that we live in, um, it, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that Satan is the God, lowercase g-o-d, of this world. And there is a current, the current of this world is, is pulling away from God. And so you have an enemy, all right? Um, not for all of you, but for some of you, right, you, you, you met resistance being back here tonight, okay? Uh, part of you was thinking, man, it's been a long day, it's been a long week. Um, we had a whole lot of Jesus last week. Maybe we'll just watch some television tonight, okay? Because remember, it'll always be easier to watch TV than read the Word of God. It'll always be easier to eat a double bacon cheeseburger than a boneless, skinless chicken breast. It'll, all, right, it'll always be easier to spend money than save it, gain weight than lose it, uh, are you following what I'm saying? It's because, again, we did not wake up in a neutral world, right? So when it comes to the Word of God, you have an enemy who cannot just sit back and let you receive the Word of God and have that Word of God planted in your heart and it begin to make a difference in your life. So he's going to try to stop you, right? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Notice that the first group of people... The first group of people, the Bible says that because they did not understand the word, Satan came immediately and stole it from their heart. It was, it, he literally um, prevented that, that seed from germinating in the soil of their heart and, and producing. So if there are things that you do not understand while we're talking, okay, while we're teaching, um, please make notes of those things. I always ask before class, after class, 
if you have questions, all right? Um, because it's important for us, right, to have those questions answered and things explained to us. But remember also, and we talked about this uh, with the sisters this morning, with the women this morning, but, um, you know, discipleship is about taking a step up, right? It's, it's about going to, and we use the example of, um, you know, kids who play t-ball, um, who get really good at t-ball, but then to go to that next level of coach pitch and then, um, you know, the boys pitch to one another and then it gets fast pitch. And, was, and, and if you just keep on hitting it off the tee and, and never take that next step up to, into that thing that's more challenging for you, then you may become a master at t-ball, uh, but you're not going to grow much beyond that. So at some point, you just kind of have to jump in the deep end of the pool. And it's not sink or swim. It's, it's, it's jump in and let's swim, right? Let's get in over our head. And so because of that, there's going to be things that you may not understand. Don't pull back. Don't quit because you don't understand, right? You, you, you keep pressing. You keep going after, all right? So anyway, the first group, uh, they didn't understand the word, and so the devil stole it from them. The second group, they heard the word and they received it, okay? But then the Bible says that persecution, tribulation um, arose because of the word. And the simple way here, these, these words in the Greek are the words like thlipsis. And I, know I love to say that word because it's just the way it sounds, okay? T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. And all it means is pressure. Pressure came from the outside of them to try to get them to turn loose of the word, to not continue, to not continue to go forward with the word. Remember what he said to those disciples who, to those who believed on him, right? If you continue in my word, you will be my disciple indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free, okay? Uh, that's in John, the eighth chapter. So if you, if you quit when you don't understand something, or if you quit when there's some pressure applied to you, right? So the next group of folks are the ones who received the word, the word uh, took root in their lives, it began to produce results in their lives, but it, as I like to say, it was a slow fade. Because the devil couldn't get them to turn loose of the word, he just snuck other things into their lives, and they allowed other things into their lives, I should say, and it eventually grew up around the word and choked it out. Okay? Now, I said all that to say, and, and you'll find out if you haven't already about, about me and about the way I teach the word, is I like to make things simple. And so here, here is the simplest way I know how to communicate this parable to you, all right? We can probably do it in four sentences. Are you ready? <clears throat> Those who quit before they understood. Those who quit before they understood. Those who quit, you can just kind of do those dittos because all of these are going to be, uh, you know, start with those anyway, all right? Those who quit before they understood, those who quit before they became established. Remember, it said they had no root in themselves. They had no root in themselves. I'm, I'm going to make a promise to you, and that promise is not based upon me or my ability. It's based upon the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, okay? But I promise you, if you'll commit yourself to these classes, you will have roots in the Word of God like you've never had before in your life, okay? So we've got to put down some roots. It's very, very important that we put down roots. So we see that the first group quit before they understood. The second group were those who quit before they became established. So that's the second sentence. The third sentence, those who quit and never knew they did. Those who quit and never knew they did. It was such a gradual thing. Pulling back, pulling away, slacking off, 
little here, little there, other things coming in, growing up around, and eventually the Word of God was being choked out in their lives. All right? So, again, from the top, those who quit before they understood, those who quit before they became established, those who quit and never knew they did, and that final group is those who never quit. Those who never quit. Oh, I like to say it this way, those who refused to quit. Those who refused to quit. Okay? Now, it may take me a whole bunch of weeks to, to put a foundation under this statement. But if you'll trust me enough tonight to believe it for now and let it inspire hope in you, I promise you, I guarantee you from the Word of God tonight that if you don't quit, you win. It's just that simple. Okay? The only strategy the devil has to stop you is to get you to quit. Because if you don't quit, he cannot stop you. He cannot defeat you. So when we talk about discipleship, we said if discipleship is anything, and it's a lot of things, but if it's anything, discipleship is a commitment. And we talked about it being an uncommon commitment. And we talked about these four words, believer, follower, disciple, and Christian. And we've got the camera turned the different way last week. You know, we're trying to tweak this and get it better on Facebook Live, but... Um, because we had the camera turned the other way, all the writing on the board was backwards, so hopefully we got that resolved. Um, it was funny, I went back through like all the people talking to one another and they were like trying to, you know, figure it out, you know, reverse it. And, and so anyway, hopefully we got that part anyway, uh, more clear, okay? Um, so I want to just comment for a moment on this word believer, believer, because what we see is that there are, Slight differences. Now, if, if, if in your heart believer and disciple mean the same thing, then amen. I'm not here to split a hair with you, okay? I'm more interested in you seeing the bigger picture, all right? And so, but a believer, remember the devils believe and tremble. So just to say that someone is a believer, um, you know, what does that really mean? Uh, and, and, and what it may mean to you and what it may mean to them, two completely different things. So I showed you some different examples, and I'm not going to go back over all those, where people, quote-unquote, believed in Jesus, but when it came time to take their commitment level, uh, you, you know, to, to something deeper or something more, um, they, they said no, they backed away, or even some became offended and, and got aggressive towards him, you know, because he dare suggested that they deepen their commitment to him and to the words that he was bringing to them, okay? Now... The Bible teaches us that Romans 12 and 3 says that God has given to every person the measure of faith. All right? That's good news. And then Romans 10 and 17 says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, if you look at that passage, the word cometh is in italics. And what that simply means is that word was not in the original language but it was added by the translators just to make it more readable. So if you take cometh out and read it as it was originally written, it doesn't say faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When you hear the word of God, it arouses and awakens the faith that is in your heart. 
You can go to a place on planet Earth where people have never heard the name of Jesus a single time, preach the gospel to them, and a large number of those people will become born again. Because when they hear that message, the seed, it arouses the faith in their heart, soil. Right? And if there is a connection, there are some things that produce an immediate result. And salvation being one of those. Now, I often explain this this way. If I was to spend 20 minutes tonight teaching on the subject of fasting from the Word of God, there would be a large majority of people listening to this class right now who would believe in fasting and even be motivated. Something inside of you would be like, man, I'm not eating for 40 days, man. Praise God. Okay. All right. But then about 10.30 in the morning, about 10.30 in the morning when your blood sugar drops and you start getting a headache because you drink caffeine every morning you had not had none today, are you following what I'm saying? Now we get to see what we really believe about fasting. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So King Agrippa, uh, we don't turn there, just, amen, just stay with me. I'm, Acts 26 tells King Agrippa's story. And Paul comes and, and he wants to hear from Paul. Paul's been arrested. And he wants to hear Paul's story. Of course, Paul preaches the gospel to a man. I mean, Paul tells him about Jesus. And King Agrippa says this, Paul, you almost persuade me to become born again, to become a Christian. Notice now what's happened. King Agrippa, hearing the word, has awakened faith in his heart, and he's like, oh my goodness. Now what would have had to happen for him to be born again? He would have had to act on that faith. He would have had to confess with his mouth that he believes in his heart. Are you fine? And he's going to take it to that next step. Are you seeing this? Okay, so when we say someone is a believer, I'm not like bashing that person. These were people who saw Jesus do amazing things. People who witnessed Jesus perform miracles. Witnessed Jesus stand up to religious bullies. And, and they had an affection for him. They, they, they had a drawing to him. They, they, they had an admiration, whatever. And, and, and certainly something was stirred inside of them because of that. But the reason they didn't go any further from that is they didn't follow him. They didn't take the commitment any further. They didn't go visit one of his meetings, hear anything else that he had to say, developing that commitment deeper and deeper, more and more and more. Amen? Okay. So believer, follower, um, disciple. We're going to talk more about disciple, but let's go uh, to uh, Acts chapter 11 now. And although we didn't cover Matthew 13 last week, uh, and I like to try to do that the first class, just to, amen, stir you up a little bit, the Word of God, right? Hear the Word. But um, Acts chapter 11, and verse number 19, this is a very important story for a lot of reasons. And, uh, and we're coming back here tonight because this story really uh, presents... I think a, 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 a beautiful picture, a full picture of what discipleship is about, but also what it's for and, 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 and why God has something on planet Earth for us to be involved in called discipleship, right? So um, let's just do this. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. It says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men for Cyprus and Cyrene, who then 
who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Hellenists are Greeks, okay? So, in other words, non-Jewish people. Non-Jewish people, Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with him, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Okay? So purpose of heart. One translation says great purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord. Now, again, this is, this is really, remember what Jesus said in John the 8th chapter. To those who believed on him because of what they saw him do in the temple, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth, and that truth you learn as a disciple will make you free. Okay? So notice now, these folks have been born again. Barnabas comes to check it out. And Barnabas says, look, with purpose of heart, with purpose of heart, come on now. We don't accomplish great things without purpose of heart. I mean, you've got to make your mind up. My, my nephew Will says it this way. He says, you've got to get your mind up, right? You've got to get it up. You, 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 you can't just let it, you know, lay around the background. You've got to get your mind up. You've got to get focused. You've got to get determined. You've got to speak to yourself. You've you got to get ready. Right? So this is what Barnabas is telling him. He says, look, guys, thank God for what's happening and, and what has happened in you. He said, but here, here are my simple words to all of you who just got born again. With great purpose of heart, with great purpose of heart, you should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians or Christians in Antioch. All right, now, a couple of key things here. Um, we see that these people go from believers, followers, they call upon the name of Jesus, they're, they're born again. Can I, I know that, oh, let's hold, hold the phone just for a second. Remember now, this first group of folks that are hearing Jesus and are drawn to him, they can't be born again yet. The, the, those Jesus hadn't died yet. The, the opportunity for them to be born again is not there yet. So clearly, when these folks hear the gospel message and are born again, something takes place deep inside of them that Barnabas now comes and he begins to speak to that in them. So are, are you following what I'm saying? Remember we said that if you're not willing to take up your cross, you cannot be a disciple. And it's, it's not that you know, Jesus is saying, okay, um, you, know, you can't get the badge or you're not going to be recognized as such. What he's literally saying here is that um, if you refuse to do it, you disqualify yourself. Because part of being a disciple is making a commitment to take up your cross and go after Jesus following him and his example. Okay? So remember, your cross is what you must do, the effort you must put forth. And so when he says with purpose of heart, you should continue with the Lord... He's talking about something that requires effort on their part. Okay? Effort on their part. Effort on their part. So, praise God. Just what you're doing right now, okay, after a long day coming to a 5 o'clock class, 
and, and putting forth the effort is huge. It's a huge part of discipleship. Right? See, we think what we're learning is discipleship. Well, yes and no. What you're doing is discipleship. In other words, you've made a commitment, right? An uncommon commitment. And now you're following through on that commitment with purpose of heart to continue with the Lord. Continue meaning to move on into the other things that He has for you. Salvation is not an end. It is a means to a greater end. Salvation is not all that God has for you. It is the doorway by which you enter into all the other things that He has for you. Salvation is where it begins. It's not the end. Amen. There are so many things that God wanted you to do for Him and so many things He wanted to do for you that He wasn't able to do for you and you weren't able to do for Him until you were born again, until you were saved. So we're talking about continuing. And praise God, there is a whole lot for us to continue in. You're not going to reach the end of it anytime soon, I promise you. Amen. And that's good news. All right, so that they should continue with the Lord. And so now notice more people are getting saved. And so Barnabas is like, look, he could recognize God's doing something here. These are, these are some awesome people. If you, and I'm not going to show you some different examples, but if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that they would go one place, or for that matter, the life of Jesus in the Gospels. They would go to one city and preach, and folks would you know, throw stones at them, try to throw them off a cliff. You know, didn't want to hear anything they had to say. Jesus told them, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next city. And in the next city, you find folks that are just like, where have you been our whole lives? Please tell us more. Thank you. Would you please stay two more years with us and teach? You know, and was, you, you follow what I'm saying? And so Jesus encountered those kinds of folks, folks that you know loved him and had him over to their house, and folks that tried to throw him off a cliff, literally. Okay. And and so th then the disciples, you know, had you know the apostles. They had those same kinds um, of experiences. So Barnabas recognized this is a this is a unique group, and these these people have a ready heart. And we need, to, we need to spend some time here. And so he leaves them for a moment, gets Paul, comes back, Saul, now we know him as Paul, and they spend one year with these people, teaching them, pouring into them. Now, we know then that these people are responding. They're not just sitting in the class listening. Obviously, they're coming, they're in attendance, they're receiving, they're applying, but they're also putting forth effort to incorporate these things into their own hearts and lives and families. And at the end of this year, people being critical of them, this was not a, 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 a term considered to be an honor. It was, it was almost like they were making fun of them by saying they were Christ-like. Okay? But what had happened was that through a discipleship process, Christ in them began to shine through them. Amen. Now, I wrote some words on the board uh, tonight. And um, I, one of the things I'm not satisfied with on the uh, live stream is how that shows up. And so I'll read those for those of you who are watching or will watch later. Um, let me, uh, let me, thank you, Holy Spirit. What, one last thing before we move on to this, okay? And not, thank you, Jesus. 
Every disciple is a Christian. But not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a disciple. That's, that's a simple way I know how to say it. Okay? Every disciple is a Christian, but not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a disciple. How many of you believe words ought to mean something? Words ought to mean something. And, um, you know, God uses words to communicate things, and of course, the enemy is always trying to weaken the power of words, reduce what it really means. Okay? And so in our world today, especially in our country today, you ask somebody if you're, if you're a Christian, it's like, what do you mean? I'm an American, aren't I? You know? So I didn't ask you if you was an American. I asked you if you're, you see, are you following what I'm saying? Okay. So there's a lot of confusion in these things, and I'm not, again, trying to offend anybody or, or anything like that. I'm just saying, if we think of follower, believer, follower, disciple, and Christian as all meaning the same thing, we're, we're, we're missing um, uh, some valuable truth from the Word of God, but also we're going to be handicapped, hindered in our ability to really recognize what a disciple is and commit ourselves to being one. Okay? Now, let's, um, let's try to break down some of these words, okay? Um, the Bible was not written in English. Uh, it was written, you know, primarily Hebrew, Greek, Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. And um, one of the ways that I love to study the Bible is to study it from its original languages. Thank God for resources and computer programs and things of that nature that make, you don't have to, in other words, I do not speak Greek, okay, don't, please don't think that. Um, I just have some really good uh, resources to, to look words up and meanings of words. Um, and so, from time to time, you'll hear me use the term a transliteration, okay? And what that simply means is the Greek alphabet does not line up letter for letter with the English alphabet. And so even to get a Greek word into an English word form, it has to be what's called transliterated, right? So the, the word um, that we have at the top of the board tonight, this word here is didasco, okay? So for those of you who are taking notes, those of you who are watching and can't read it well uh, on the board, um, it's spelled D-I-D-A-S-K-O, didasco, all right? Now, um, to simplify this word, um, it means to teach, to teach, okay? And then the, uh, the word under it, and this, this is actually a, a two-way arrow, and it's designed to communicate that there's a correlation or relationship between. This word here is uh, the Greek word manthano, okay? M-A-N-T-H-A-N-O, manthano, okay? And... Um, so if I'm not saying these words correctly, uh, it's okay. What I've learned is if you say it confidently, people will think they perhaps have been saying it wrong <laughs> the whole time, okay? But um, anyway, that's, that's, how, that's how we say it in, in Alabama, all right? Okay. Uh, so um, Didasco and Manthano. Now, there may be someone in this room um, who was raised in an Eastern culture. But most of the people, most of the people who are listening to this, watching this class right now, were not raised in an Eastern culture. We were raised in a Western culture. And we do things differently here in the West than uh, the way things are done in the East. 
Now, without going too far down this road, let me remind you, um, Jesus also did not live in or even minister in a Western culture. <laughs> he lived in and ministered in an Eastern culture. Okay? And so like one of the really big things the Lord's been emphasizing to us here at Heritage this whole year of 2018 is that a lot of times, you know, when we read the word you in the Bible, we think that he's only talking about me. And, and most of the time, it's talk, especially New Testament, it's talking about you all, okay? Because, see, in Western culture, we're more about the rugged individual. Come on now. We're more about, you know, good old American ingenuity, you know, pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, you know what I'm saying? Uh, taking two rocks and a claim share in uh, Nebraska and going and make, you know, making it happen. That's kind of how this nation and country um, was built. Family's important to us, but I'm sure we've probably got some people of, of Greek descent or Italian descent uh, in the room. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anybody else. You, you, okay, so if you're not Italian or Greek, you can love your family just as much as they do. But you know what I'm talking about, right? If you've ever, if you've ever seen that, right? I have, have a friend who's uh, Lebanese. And it's just, it's just different, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? They kiss each other all the time. And it's like, what in the world? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm Ita you know, Pastor Rick, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's he, uh, got that Italian heart, man, his love for his family. His family's still in Italy and all this other stuff. And again, that, I'm just pointing that out to you because it's, it's just a different mindset. It's a different mindset. And we have to adjust our Western mindset to the Bible because the Bible is taught more from the Eastern culture, Eastern perspective on things. Yes, no, maybe. Let me give you an example, all right? In the West, you could go to college and get a four-year degree in business and never have a professor who's owned or ran a business. Right? Never owned a business, never ran a business. He has a doctorate's degree in business. Never been a businessman. If you think you're laughing, you ought to hear people in the East laugh at us about that, right? Okay? See, in an Eastern culture, that's ridiculous. Because in an Eastern culture, you haven't learned anything until you've done it. Until you've lived it. Right? So in an Eastern culture, the highest form of learning is to learn by experience. Okay? And the highest form of teaching is when a master teaches a disciple for the purpose of not just telling that person what they know, but the purpose for that uh, master-disciple relationship is for that master to pour into that disciple himself or herself to literally reproduce himself in that disciple, to reproduce himself in that person. To, to literally, the, the key word here is assimilate, which means to make similar, okay? Assimilate oneself into. Right? Now, there are, how do I say this? Let's, it's kind of challenging to communicate in English, but there are different levels of, of learning as there are different levels of teaching. Okay? Uh, trade school comes to mind. 
trade school, there's learning, there's teaching and learning going on in a trade school, but it's not the same like if you were in a literature class. It's just different, right? Okay. So the words that I have put on the board, Didasco and Manthano, not only do they correspond to one another, they're actually a system of teaching and learning that would be considered the highest level or the highest form of teaching and learning. So when we say didasco, we said that that means to teach, but it's what we said a moment ago. It's teaching for the purpose of reproducing yourself in the person being taught. Okay? Now, Manfano is also talking about learning, but if you're going to learn from a teacher who is teaching you for the purpose of making you like him or her or pouring himself into you or to reproduce themselves in you, if that's ever going to happen, you're going to have to respond to that teaching with a very high level of commitment. Right? Just curious, any, any of you in here, uh, martial arts? Okay, a couple, a couple. All right, over here. So again, martial arts, you guys know. Usually there's more, all right? But martial arts, Eastern, right, not Western, okay? Eastern, not Western. And so that's the, the bowing and, and the respect. It's a higher level. But that doesn't mean that we didn't respect our English teacher. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, okay? But again, there's a different level of respect, command, respect, what have you, in that relationship. I'm just trying to use things to help you know, we're gradually bridging that gap. So when, turn with me, um, I'll, I'm at reference Acts 11 again, but turn with me now to Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Matthew chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6 and verse number 40. And, um, and this verse really captures this, Okay. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. It says this, A disciple is not above his teacher. I think King James Version may actually say master. Okay, A disciple is not above his master, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his master will be like his teacher. All right. So do, do you see how that verse is capturing this idea of one teaching another for the purpose of making that one like himself, like herself? It's the highest level, the highest form of teaching, and it requires a response from those being taught with the highest level or the highest form of learning. Now, if you also notice from Manfano, we branched out here. Um, this word here is the word mathetes, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. And this word is the word mathetria, M-A-T-H-E-T-R-I-A, mathetes, mathetria. All right? Now, why are these words up here and why are they important? Well, first of all, they are derivatives of this word manfano. Okay? 
And as is the case like with, um, I know French is this way, I think Spanish is this way, these words are gender specific. So in this case, mathetes would be the gender, the male gender form of this word. Mathetria would be the female gender of this word. These words, mathetes, mathetria, when they're translated into our English text, they are translated into our English word. Are you ready? Some of you are already ahead of me. They're translated in our English word, disciple. Disciple. So a mathetes is a male disciple. A mathetria is a female disciple. But remember now, they're derivatives of this word manfano. So what does this word manfano actually mean? It means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. I'll say it again. To put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. That's what manfano means. To put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. <coughs> So if that's what manthano means, and mathetes and mathetria are derivatives of this word, we get perhaps one of our best and simplest definitions of what a disciple really is. A disciple is someone who puts forth an intense effort to learn by experience. Someone who puts forth an intense effort to learn by experience. All right? Now, if you're writing that definition down, just at the end of it, put three little dots, okay? And what I mean by three little dots is that's, that's really not the whole picture, so I'm wanting you to make some kind of note in your notes that there's a little more to it than that, but we're, we're building something here. We're, we're, we're wrapping our hearts around it. Is everybody still with me? You good? Okay. Now, so the reason I want you to put the three little dots is because, remember, you can never understand manthano unless you understand it in its relationship to didasco. In other words, if you're putting forth an intense effort to learn by experience, that's manthano. But manthano means you are learning from someone who is strategically teaching you for the express purpose of reproducing themselves in you. They're not just telling you what they know. Are you following what I'm saying? Let me, let me give you an example. Okay, In John the 6th chapter, it's, it's where we see um, Jesus turning uh, a little boy's fish and chips lunch in, into a seafood buffet for thousands of people. Okay? And Jesus could have, Jesus could have, he didn't, but he could have set his 12 disciples down and said, okay guys, get your notebooks out. I know, I, you know, we talked some this morning, but I got something else to tell you this afternoon. Are right, everybody ready? Get your notebooks out. Okay, listen to me guys. Make sure you get this because this is important because there could be starving people on planet Earth one day that you need to help. Okay? All right, are you ready? Here it is, okay? I actually have the power, as Jesus, I have the power to take a little boy's lunch, like just a few sardines and, and some loaves of bread. I have the power to take that, pray over that, give it to you to serve, and we could feed crowds of thousands of people. Okay? All right? Any questions? How would you do that, Jesus? Well, it's the power of God. It's the blessing on that and all stuff. Okay, good question. You know, er, you know, answer the questions. Everybody have a really good, heartfelt discussion about it. Everybody talk about how in amazement they are. Jesus, look at them. I say, okay, everybody got all this? All right, fellas, let's go play some golf, right? Okay. See, that's, that's what's called theoretical learning. We're big on that in the West. We learn to love things in theory. 
Jesus did not say, in theory, I can take a little boy's lunch and feed a whole bunch of folks with it. Jesus says to his disciples, I think it was Philip, right? He says, um, uh, we need to feed these folks. How are we going to do it, right? And, if you, and, the, and the Bible plainly says that Jesus knew what he was going to do, okay? It says he did this to test them. Not test them in the sense of seeing what they believed. He knew what they believed. The word test there is the word paradzo in the Greek. And we get our English word empirical from it. Empirical is the opposite of something that's theoretical. Something that is empirical is something that has been proven beyond any shadow of a doubt. Okay? That's empirical. Okay? Eastern culture is huge on empirical. Western culture will settle for theoretical. Okay? Jesus did not settle for theoretical. He only wanted to teach them from an empirical perspective, meaning what? He wanted them to be able to do it themselves. This is important. If you read your Bible carefully, it's not two different versions of the same story of mass feedings. But we actually see there are two different times it was recorded in the Scriptures that Jesus fed a lot of folks with a little bit of food. And it's not multiple tellings of the same story when we see a storm trying to destroy Jesus and the disciples in a boat two different times. One time he did it for them, the next time he instructed them to do it. One time he rebuked the storm for them, the next time he was asleep in the bottom of the boat. Right? Are you understand what I'm saying? All of this was part of their discipleship process. Jesus was not just interested in impressing them. Read the Gospels again throughout our time together, and they will become, begin to come alive to you in ways perhaps that you've never seen before. Because Jesus did not say, get back, guys, you can't do this. No, he's like, come on, guys, we're going to all do this together. As a matter of fact, he took that little boy's lunch, he blessed it, he then divided it amongst 12 men, and then those 12 men started feeding people, and every time they gave somebody a hunk of food, another hunk of food was in their hands. That miracle actually took place not in Jesus' hands, but it actually in practicality took place in the disciples' hands. Again, learning by experience. They experienced these things in their lives. And it was all part of Jesus reproducing himself in them. This is discipleship, my brother and my sister. I want you to get wildly excited about this. It's not just about expanding your Bible knowledge. We all need to do that. Don't misunderstand me. But discipleship, amen, it's, it's about having Jesus not just formed in you, but literally who He is shining through you, living through you. Okay, now. So this brings us to, number one, we said discipleship is a commitment. Number two, discipleship is a process. It's a process. All right? We could even say, if you wanted to add it in there, um, it's an ongoing process. Will you ever outgrow discipleship? No, don't answer it. I'll answer it for you. No. No. All right? Discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. Discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. To reveal Christ in us. 
phrase you'll hear me use over and over again so you don't have to feel pressured to capture it now, okay? The inward realities of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. The inward realities of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. The inward realities of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Okay? Who came to live inside of you when you were born again? Jesus came to live inside of you. The day you were born again, He came to live inside of you. His Spirit became one Spirit with you, with the new Spirit He put inside of you. Okay? His Spirit became one Spirit. The other sentence. The inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. The inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. The inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life, right? Amen. Who you really are showing up in your daily life. What you're capable of doing. you actually doing it. What belongs to you. you actually driving it. you actually enjoying it. you actually living in it. You, are you, amen. Come on now. See why I get excited about discipleship, don't you? Well, discipleship class, I was going to talk about tithing. No, 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 man. See, no, see, see, we got the wrong idea of what discipleship's about, right? Got the wrong idea about it. Amen. So when we say discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us, the inward reality of who you are right now is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The confident expectation of everything he is and everything that he has becoming an outward expression of life. Let's go back to the folks at Antioch. Are you following what I'm saying? These folks get born again. They're like, they, they are clueless until somebody comes and tells them about Jesus. They hear about Jesus. They get born again. Something happens on the inside of them. They have no idea what's happening on the inside of them, but something's changing on the inside of them. And now they don't know more about it. They're hungry. And with purpose of heart, they continue. They have opportunities to do other things. They just don't take them. They have opportunities to quit. They just don't take them. They got opportunities to, to are you follow what I'm saying, to do something other than the Word of God, and they just kept doing the Word of God. They continued with the Lord. And for about a year, diligently for about a year, they continued with the Lord until the point that Jesus had become so real in them and was expressing himself through their lives that people started saying, they're like Christ. They're like Christ. Jesus said it this way, you're the light of the world, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen. So I don't believe that they look like Jesus because they grew their hair out, had a beard and wore sandals and, and robes. You know, whatever this image we have of Jesus looking like, right? I don't believe they look like Jesus because they tried to mimic his, you know, if, if, you know, if Jesus you know, did something like that all the time. And you know, have all these mannerisms. I have all these mannerisms. You know, it's like, you know, somehow they watch YouTube videos of Jesus to try to, you know, make sure their gait was like him or if he turned and looked like that. No, no, that, that's not what it was, right? What was it about these people that said, these folks are like Christ? I believe, first of all, it was love. I believe it was passion and compassion. But there were works. There were signs. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? There were signs in their lives that things that they were doing, works that they were doing, people that they were helping. People said, man, I ain't seen it like this since Jesus came through here. 
I ain't seen it like this. I ain't heard it happening like this since Jesus was here. See, this is discipleship. Okay? Now, this is what we all need to get really, really, really excited about, okay? Because what we have in Acts um, 11 is a, um, a record of this process um, taking place, but also, um, how do I say this? Where is Jesus when all this is happening? He said, I mean, he's in them, but where else? He's in heaven. You're not getting it because I'm not giving it to you right. Let me see if I can try this again. All right? Okay, let's, let's rewind it. Okay. Jesus is on the earth. He's become a man. He has 12 disciples, and others get in on you know, what he's doing with him. But he has the 12 main disciples, and he disciples these men. Right? But then Jesus makes this astonishing statement. He says, I'm going away and it's going to be to your advantage. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, how in the world could we be better off, Jesus, without you right here physically with us? But if Jesus said it, it's true. I'm going away and it's to your advantage because if I stay here, I can't send the Holy Spirit. But if I return to my Father, I will ask Him and He will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who's you've experienced him, but the day's coming when he will be in you. And when he's in you, he will be in you forever. And he will lead you and guide you into all truth. So what happened in Antioch is extremely special because they were first called Christians or Christians in Antioch. But it's also extremely special because all of this happened with Jesus in heaven through the ministry of the Holy Spirit working through other disciple makers. This happened to be Paul and Barnabas teaching the Word and the Holy Spirit working in people's lives to disciple those men and women to the point that Jesus began to show through their lives. Why is that such wonderful news? Because that's the same conditions in which you and I exist right now. Jesus is in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is in us. He is among us, and He is upon us, and He is speaking to us through His Word, all in effort to didasco those who are willing to make a commitment to learn and put forth intense effort to learn by experience to have the inward realities of the new birth become an outward expression of their lives. Sweet Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. We looked at that one already. That's really, really important. Turn with me now to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And um, verse number 20. Again, uh, Ephesians 4. We'll look at two verses, 20-21. Oh, I love to hear all the rustling of the pages. I'm thankful for technology. I, I do a lot of Bible study, Bible reading on the computer, on my phone, on my iPad. But, man, there's just nothing like having um, the written word, the, the typewritten word, the hard copy to to study and make notes on. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Um, amen. I'm on, 
I'm just going to stay focused right here for now. Okay, so it says this, verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. Okay? But you have not so learned Christ. The context of this... Okay, amen. Too big a hurry. Let's go to verse 17. Okay? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 and 17. This I say therefore... And testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, there's a lot of teaching to be done here. I just want to give you an overview if we could right now. The first thing you need to understand is that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is speaking to men and women who have already been born again. They've already received salvation. But he's saying that they should no longer walk. That word walk there means your daily life. How they go about life. That they should no longer live, go about life, do life, as the rest of the Gentiles go about and do their life in the futility of their mind. This word Gentile, obviously it means a non-Jewish person. A non-Jewish person. Okay? But if I could help you with that word, if that, if that word is a, you know, doesn't really do much for you as far as what it means, what he's really saying here is that a, a Gentile person was a person who did not have a covenant or a covenant relationship with God. So we're talking about somebody that's never been born again here. He's saying to people who have been born again, you should not be living like people who have not been born again. How do people who have not been born again? They live from the vanity or from the futile thoughts and imaginations in their minds. If all we had to live our lives by were the futile thoughts of this world, it would be one thing. But as born-again believers, we've been given the mind of Christ. We've been given the Word of God. We've been given the higher ways of heaven to live our lives by. But notice you've got folks who are lagging behind. They've been born again, but they're still living like people who have not been born again. He says, those, he said, you're living like people whose understanding has been darkened. You're living like people who've been alienated, separated from the life of God. We've not been separated from the life of God as born-again people. We've, we've become partakers of His divine nature. We've been given life, amen, and that life in eternal overflowing abundance. But yet notice, people live like they don't, when they do, they live like outsiders. When they're not outsiders, they're insiders. Why? Because they're still thinking like somebody who's an outsider instead of somebody who's an insider. Why are they still thinking like somebody who's an outsider, right, when they're an insider? It's because they've never made any kind of commitment to Didasco and Manthano, right, and intense effort to learn by experience the things that would elude their minds and enable them. Okay, I just went to auctioneer mode, excuse me. <laughs> enable them. Amen to express the inward realities of their salvation, right, in an, in an outward way of life and living. 
he says these folks are past feeling, conscience seared, giving themselves over to lewdness, work all kinds of uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, But you have not so manthanoed Christ. That word learned right there is the word manthano. You have not so learned Christ. This is not what you experience. This is not what um, you were taught or told. This is, this is not um, the, uh, uh, the things that have been poured, or let me say it another way, things that are being poured out for you. Right? Let me, let me see if I can say it another way. They were not responding with an intense effort to learn by experience. Okay? They were not responding by an intense effort to learn by experience. They were kind of phoning it in. Amen? You see what I mean by phoning it in? It's kind of halfway there, half-hearted, you know. Now, I want to, I'm too close to not mention this. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, the truth is in Jesus. Okay? That's an important statement for a lot of reasons. And I just want to introduce it to you while we're here, okay? The truth is in Jesus. What he, what he literally means here is, if you have some idea or opinion about God that you can't find in the life of Jesus, you've got a wrong idea or opinion about God. Jesus is the truth about Him. The Bible says that Jesus came to reveal Him, particularly, individually, completely, thoroughly. He came to reveal the Father to us. So much so, in John 14, Jesus says, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. You know what God's like? Study the life of Jesus. And if you have crazy ideas and notions about God, you know, giving people cancer to teach them a lesson, find it in the life of Jesus and I believe you. But until you can do that, the truth's in my Jesus, not in your religious traditions. Okay? Jesus came to set the record straight once and for all. So any idea, thought, or opinion that you have about God the Father that you can't find in the life of Jesus, it's not the truth. Okay? Not the truth. Really good rule of thumb. That'll help you, help you, help you, help you, help you. Okay? All right, so let's, um, let's do this for a minute. Um, thank you, Father. Turn with me to Romans, the 8th chapter. Romans, chapter 8. And um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, okay? So Romans, the 8th chapter. Discipleship is a process, we could say an ongoing process, intended to reveal Christ in us. Intended to reveal Christ in us. Right? Now, when we talk about Christ being revealed in us, we have to understand Matter of fact, if I could show you my notes, you wouldn't be able to see it, but to show you how I've grown over the last 14 years now, it's our 14th year to do this class, this point used to read, discipleship is a process intended to make us like Jesus. That's really not a true statement. Okay? Because if you've been born again, you've been born of His Spirit, you've been born of His seed, You've become a partaker of His nature. In other words, you've already been made like Jesus. So do you see why we had to correct that? It's not a process to make you like Jesus. It's a process to reveal the Jesus who's already in you. Outward manifestation of the inward reality. Right. Okay. 
Now, for some folks, this makes them nervous, and so I'm going to give you a few verses um, just along these lines, all right? And the first one's in Romans chapter 8. Let's begin at verse number 29. It says this, For whom he foreknew, this is speaking of God the Father, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, even more, it's even gooder than this, even better than this, right? Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. That means to be made righteous, to be just as if I'd never sinned, justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Notice it says he also glorified not also will glorify, but he also glorified. All right, sometimes people get nervous when we get along these lines right here. Don't get nervous. Don't get nervous. The devil's trying to bully you. Let's take this verse apart piece by piece. First of all, for whom he foreknew. What does that mean? It means that God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. That His purposes for your life, the Bible says, are eternal purposes. Before you ever lived a single day of your life, He wrote a life story for you in a book. We've gotten off course and written our own story for a while, but he's trying to bring us back into alignment. More on that later. So, the way to understand this passage begins with whom he foreknew. In other words, the idea is that God knew you before you ever existed on planet Earth. Let me, let me, let me simplify it. Is there anybody down here that God doesn't know about? I mean, can you see me looking over like, like, hey, you know, I'm, you know, they don't have a name tag on, or they, do, or, do you know them, Jesus? Now, see, he knows, right? These verses are so powerful, and it's sad to me because the devil's stirred up so much confusion in the body of Christ. The doctrines of predestination. Do you know what predestined, do you know what that means? It just means God had a destiny for you before there was a you living and breathing on planet Earth. A predetermined destiny. And the predetermined destiny was for you to be conformed to the image of His Son. And it was the plan all along was for you and me to be conformed into the image of Jesus. This is not a new plan that I'm telling you about. It may be new to you in the sense that you've never heard anything about inward realities becoming an outward manifestation of life and blah, blah, blah. You, you may have never heard that, but I promise you, Father God... It was in his heart before he ever breathed breath into, into Adam's nostrils, into Adam's nostrils, right? Into Adam's nostrils. Make sure you're listening, all right? So we see that the, the predetermination was for every one of you, every one of us, 
to be to God the Father as Jesus is, that He might, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you realize that Jesus, the moment the, the first Mary and the disciples were born again on that first Easter morning, do you realize up until that point Jesus was the only begotten Son of God but now He is no longer the only begotten, but He is referred to as the firstborn among many. Firstborn among many, brother. moreover, who He predestined, predetermined to be conformed into the image of His Son. He called you, and those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. Okay? Now, turn with me to 1 John. Amen. Almost. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Back up a little bit. Towards the end of the New Testament. Book of 1 John. And let's look at verse number 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Okay? Praise God. Amen. Now it's okay if it's not if it's not you yet, you know, if it's still like dragging on out, but can anybody in here believe we've only got about thirty minutes left? Am I the only one that's like, what in the world? Has it really been an hour and seventeen minutes since we started? Okay. First John chapter three. First John chapter three, not the gospel, but not not Big John as uh pastor friend I heard one time talking about. Amen. Not Big John but little John. 1 John chapter 3. Ladies, those of you who are in class this morning, we talked about this verse a moment uh, this morning, but we didn't read it. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, that means check it out. Take, a, take some time to consider. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. The reason we should be called children of God is because now we are children of God. And if you read this tomorrow, what's it going to say? And if you read it three weeks from today, it's going to say now, right? Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not, listen to this now, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He, Jesus, is pure. Now, what he's saying here is that when we stand before him, we're not going to be in this flesh. We're not going to be clothed in this, Paul called it a tent, this earthly physical body any longer. We're in essence going to, if, if your body is a glove and your spirit and soul is a hand inside that glove, we're going to be ungloved. We're going to come out of the glove. And when we come out of the glove and we're all standing there face to face with Jesus, Guess who we're going to look just like, according to the Word of God? We're going to look just like Jesus. It's because we've been born of His seed, and seed reproduce after like kind. And since we've been born of His seed, we are like Him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're like Him. Inwardly, we're like Him. Our born-again spirit is like Him. It wasn't a baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes that came to live inside of you when you were born again. It was a resurrected, glorified Lord who came to live inside of you when you were born again. Okay? So when he says to be conformed into the image of his Son, we see that inwardly that's already taken place. 
Now, discipleship is, in is intended to bring that out of us so that it shines through us. Be imitators of God as dear children, the Bible says. Okay? Are you following this? I know I'm giving you a lot, but this is, this is a huge factor in understanding what discipleship is about, it, that it's a commitment, an uncommon commitment, putting forth an intense effort to learn by experience, because again, Jesus wants disciples because He wants to reproduce Himself in other people. Remember, that's what a, a master who teaches for the purpose of reproducing. Paul didn't reproduce himself in the folks at Antioch. Barnabas didn't reproduce himself in those people at Antioch. Some people say it. It's okay. I'm not like if you said it, I'm not jumping on you, okay? But you are not my disciple, right? People sometimes, oh, that's one of Pastor Mark's disciples. Man, you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to see a side of me you don't rarely see, okay? I'm fixing to get upset, right? Okay, Because you are not my disciple any more than, than those folks at Antioch. Are you, are you, are you what I'm saying? I'm, I'm here engaged in the process together with you that the Lord has given me grace to understand and present to people, okay? But we are Jesus' disciples. And Jesus is using gifts of ministry. Remember we looked at those, last, those ministry gifts last week? Gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to equip saints to do the work of the ministry. Amen? And so it's ultimately the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I'm, I don't have time to explain all this right now, but the reality is I'm not even teaching you right now. The Holy Spirit is teaching you right now. Okay? If all you're hearing is me, we're wasting our time. Right? That's why when those of you who are engaged, and I, and I know a lot of you are, if not all of you are, but if you're really leaning into this, you're hearing things inside of yourself that I'm not saying to you. As I'm standing up here sharing the Word of God and expounding upon the Word of God, the Bible says my responsibility is to read the verse and make the sense. Get it on a low enough shelf where every person that wants it can get it. Okay? And that's what we're going to do. That's what I'm here to do. But unless the Holy Spirit helps you, we were talking about this, those that were able to be here Sunday night, we were talking about this, right? We're talking about things that your meat computer cannot process now. Okay? This is why Paul said, I bow my knees before the Father uh, of whom all in heaven and earth are named uh, the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? And he says, I'm praying that the Spirit of the living God would give you inward strength so that you will then be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the full dimension of God's love for you. And through that, be filled with all the fullness of God. That's discipleship. Being filled with what God's full of. I, if, if you're not willing to put forth... See, it's the effort. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 6, God is rewarded of those who diligently seek Him. Again, that's effort. That's putting forth effort with purpose of heart to continue with the Lord. Hanging in there even when you don't understand it. Not allowing the devil to steal the Word from you. Uh, hanging in there long enough and not quitting before you put down some roots, right? The Word of God being established and built into your life, being engrafted into your personality, into your heart and mind, right? The Holy Spirit is... I can't do that. If I could do that for you, I would do it for every human being on planet Earth. I would just like set up a practice and, 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 and just have a lineup. You know, next, come get your Jesus transplant. You know, I can't do that. 
Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But bless God, if it happened in Antioch, it can happen in Hewittown and Bessemer and Maui and Tennessee and Kenya. It can happen all over the world, right? If people will respond to Jesus, even though He's in heaven, respond to Him with the same intense effort, recognizing that God's plan for us all along was for Jesus to be formed in us, conformed in us, and be revealed through us. The hard part's already done. Right? The real you's already just like Him. Now it just becomes a matter of learning to think like Him. If you learn to think like Him, next thing you know you'll be talking like Him. If you think like him and talk like him, next thing you know, you'll be acting like him. If you think like him, talk like him, acting like him, next thing you know, you'll be laying hands on sick folk, casting out devils, speaking to tornadoes. Just, you know, amen. So, Pastor Mark, you believe all that? I am all that. I always believe all that. I am. I, I didn't make this up. This is making us up, right? You see the difference? Hey, you think something I've made up? This is making me. Whew. All right. So you're in 1 John 3. Let's go. 1 John 4, 17. Approach with humility. Approach with um, the fear of God. Approach with, with um, just a sense of, of holiness for, about, for what you're about to hear. 1 John 4 and 17. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amy, I don't need you throwing the gasoline on me right now, sister. Praise God. I'm, I'm about to explode right now. Praise God. All right. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness when we stand before Judge Jones. Is that what it says? That we may have boldness when we have to go home for the holidays and face our family. Is that what it says? That we may, you realize, like, the day of judgment is like the one day in our lives, if we're ever going to have fear, that it's a day of judgment. If it's time to find out if you pass the third grade or not, it's a day of judgment. It's, it's all coming down to this. He says, when his love has become so complete in you that you'll stand before Jesus one day, not afraid, but bold. Right, ladies? Because our confidence is not, not in what we did for him, but what he's done for us. We talked that this morning, okay? Are you seeing something here? Do you realize if you can have boldness when you stand before Jesus to be judged, there's not a day or a moment or a second between now and that day you can't face with boldness. You can't have confidence. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world. All right, and let's rewind to last week for a minute. I told you my favorite definition of discipleship. The Lord gave it to me a lot of years ago, right? Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Discipleship is finding out who you became <laughs> the day you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. You became something when you were born again that you were not before, okay? The problem most people have is 
they still think like the person they were instead of the person they became because they still think like the person that they were instead of the person they became. They still live, live like the person that they were instead of the person that they became. All right? Discipleship's not about becoming. It's about discovering. It's about having the truth revealed to you, making, putting forth an intense effort to learn by experience from our Master Jesus through the Holy Spirit and His holy truth, His holy word continuing in His Word, becoming His disciples indeed, knowing the truth, and that truth is going to set us free. Our thinking alienates us from the life that we have the capacity and potential to live right now. Okay? Right? Remember He said, because of the futility of your mind, you're living as those who are outsiders when you're not an outsider. You're an insider. You're one with Him. Okay? As He is, so are we in this world. You were born of His Spirit. You were reproduced from His seed. Amen. Amen. So as He is, so are we. Thank you, Jesus. We're not living like that old person that was buried in an unmarked grave any longer. Come on now. With purpose of heart, right? With purpose of heart. It helps me, and if, and if it helps you, say it this way. Father, with your help, and by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me, I'm done living like that dead person that I used to be. I'm not that person anymore. Teach me how to live. Teach me how to live like the person I became the day you made me new in Christ Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth, the Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Obviously, he had a lot of different assignments. But I believe second only to his assignment of dying on the cross, revealing God the Father to us. I mean, obviously those are super huge, big, important things. But right in there, just right 2A. I mean, you know, like one being His death on the cross, two being revealing the Father. 2A, Jesus came to this earth not trying to see if He could get 100,000 people in one sitting. He came to this earth to find a handful of people who were willing and would be willing to put forth an intense effort to learn from Him by experience so that He could pour Himself into and reproduce Himself in them. Amen. Now, we really have no idea how many people Jesus personally ministered to. I believe it would be in the hundreds of thousands. Partially because John said if every miracle was written, there would not be room enough to contain the volumes. What we have here is but a sample. We'll get to this later, but that means what we have here each individual miracle and episode is strategically recorded. You can say it this way, it made the cut. 
They were all important. But these were important enough to be recorded and preserved so that you and I can learn critically important things from how Jesus ministered to and what he did. Yes? Okay. Part of our discipleship process. Listen to this very carefully, though, please. Of the tens of thousands, if hundreds of thousands is too big a number for you or you disagree with it, of the tens of thousands of people Jesus personally ministered to, heal their children, <coughs> cast demons out of their sister, um, raise their son from the dead. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? All these things that he did. There would be crowds of tens of thousands, and the Bible said, in a day where health, health care was very scarce and extremely expensive, you know there were people there who were sick, people who had broken bones that didn't heal right, people who were born with some type of condition, chronic illness, terminal illness, um, illnesses that developed over time, uh, emotional, mental illness. Again, the Bible uses Greek words to communicate every bit of that. The Bible says Jesus healed every single person in the crowd of tens of thousands that were afflicted or sick in any way, in any shape, form, or fashion. Okay? That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Wow. If it tells me anything, it tells me it's God's will to heal. Still doing it, sister. Come on. Yes, he is. Why am I talking about these big numbers? Because when it came down to it, only 120, only 120 people were willing to take off work and get a babysitter to go wait in the upper room for the promise of the Father. As a pastor, that makes me very sad because I see those same kind of numbers today. Jesus has done so much for so many people. Amen. But so few interested in continuing with Him with great purpose of heart to find out His plans and purposes, destiny and calling for their lives. So many people have been helped, but so few willing to respond with some kind of commitment to Him that would enable Him to bring forth the inward realities of the new birth and make it an outward manifestation in their life. Our world is dying. Our world is perishing. And they're perishing from starvation. They're starving to see the real Jesus living and breathing and walking again on planet Earth. They've had enough of religion. They don't care about our doctrines. They want to see something that's real, a love that's real, a power that's real, something in your life that's making such a difference in your life that they're attracted to you because of it. Jesus didn't advertise. Jesus didn't nail flyers to telephone poles to try to get a crowd up, right? He was trying to avoid crowds because people were attracted to something that's real. The raw power of God, the raw truth of God, the real power of God, people were drawn to it. Amen. Jesus was, and he still is, looking for people 
who will make the commitment necessary for him to be able to pour himself into and reproduce himself within. He's looking for those people in this room tonight. He's looking for those amongst us tonight who will make this uncommon commitment, committing themselves with purpose of heart to a process that would reveal Christ in us. Amen. Let me give you one more and then we'll pray. Number three, discipleship is an attitude. Okay? It's an attitude. It's an attitude of the heart, certainly an attitude of love. Now, while you're writing, I want you to write two words down, okay? The first word is the word, I'll spell it for you if you're not familiar with it, aptitude, A-P-T-I-T-U-D-E, aptitude, okay? Has nothing to do with an iPhone, okay? App. <laughs> App, I'm emphasizing app so that you don't think I'm saying at. Aptitude. Please don't tell my son or daughter that I said that, okay, because they don't like dad's corny jokes, okay? <laughs> Especially on Facebook Live. Praise God. Help us, Jesus. All right. okay. Aptitude, and then, uh, then underneath that, I want you to write the word attitude. A-T-T-I-T-U-D-E. So they're very similar words, right? Just one letter difference. Aptitude. Attitude aptitude, attitude, okay? What is aptitude? Aptitude is inherent ability. Inherent ability. If you remember in school, they gave us aptitude tests. They gave us aptitude tests. And they never told us this, but I figured it out later in life. Those tests weren't really them testing me. Those tests were the powers that be testing my teachers. Because that aptitude test was, they were just trying to find out what we knew, what we were learning. Aptitude, you hear me? Aptitude. Aptitude is like inherent ability. It's, it's what you're capable of. Okay? I'm sure it's no one in this room, but you probably had a relative or a close friend <laughs> who had the aptitude to be a straight-A student, but not the attitude. <laughs> they had the ability. <laughs> they had the, again, nobody in this room, nobody watching Facebook Live, but you probably know somebody who had the inherent ability to do really well in school, but they didn't have the attitude to go along with it. Didn't have the right mindset. Didn't have the right focus. Didn't have the right kind of commitment. Had the aptitude, but not the attitude. Every born-again person has the aptitude to be a disciple, 
but not every born-again person has the attitude to be a disciple. I'm trying to dispel a myth, and I don't know if it's in any of you in here, but there's some folks who just believe, well, some folks are called to be more serious about God than other people. Some folks are called to do more for God than others. Yeah, just kind of have this idea, right? And you know, isn't it interesting how we can spiritualize our dysfunction that way? You know what I'm saying? We're, I mean, it's like we're just writing off God's plan for our lives and we're like justifying it with scriptures. You, you see what I'm saying? It's simply not the case. Every person in this room, every person listening to me, every born-again believer has the aptitude to be a disciple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It really comes down to, that's why discipleship is an attitude. In other words, we've got the aptitude to do it, the capabilities of being one. It's just, do we have the attitude necessary to be a disciple? That's why Jesus said, if, you, if you're not going to take up your cross, you can't be my disciple. If you're, not gonna, if you're not willing to do, if you're not willing to put forth the intense effort to learn by experience, Experience means what? Experience means taking what you're learning and begin to apply it to your life. Begin to walk this out. Begin to, you know, it's not just something you hear, you know, during an hour and 45 minutes here on Wednesday evening or whatever, or what you read and study on your own. But it's like, okay, how can I do something with this? How can I apply this? That's, that's the experiential part. Holy Spirit, show me how to make this a part of who I am and how I live. In a, we talked about Eastern Western culture. I didn't say this part. Let me go back to it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You see, maybe I did and I forgot I did, but let me just make sure again, if I'm repeating, that's fine. As far as Jesus was concerned, if you could not reproduce the result, you haven't learned it yet. Nothing about regurgitating facts and information if you could not reproduce it, right? Luke 6.40, he as he is so in this world, as he is so in this world, as he is so in this world, the disciple is not above his master. But if you let your master train you perfectly, you'll be just like him. You see, that's discipleship. That's discipleship. All right, Jesus' first words. First public sermon, I guess I should say more accurately. First point, first public sermon from Jesus was on the subject of attitude. <laughs> we call them the Beatitudes, right? That tells me attitude's pretty important. If when he finally opened his mouth to speak publicly and deliver his first sermon, human being on planet Earth, Son of God living among us, truth embodied, the Word of God made flesh, now speaking to us, first point, first sermon of the greatest sermon ever preached, Sermon on the Mount, attitude. Attitude. Praise God. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this time together this evening. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit came in here inside of us, with us, but he also, Father, was among us and upon us tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are making disciples of men and women in this room. You are making Christ-like men and women of men and women in this room, myself included. I pray that you would do the same and continue the same process in my life as well.
Father, I thank you tonight, not just for those that are, that are a part of this class right now, but I thank you in advance for all of the men and women that these men and women are going to reach and make disciples of because they've committed themselves to discipleship. They've now become an instrument in your hand to make disciples of all nations. Father, we thank you for your favor. I bless these men and women for their commitment, for their faithfulness. I thank you, Father God, for what you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. I love you. Hey, could I get you to hold on for just one second? I know, just one second, if I could, please. And, um, matter of fact, let me, uh, this, let me, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Let me just, I don't know if this is going to work, but we'll kind of show folks here. We've got some folks in the room, good crowd in the room. All right, and um, let me stop this. All right, so I need to tell you something that's important, if I did that right. Um, first of all, um, thank you for being here, okay? And I'm going to do something next week that I've never done before. And to be honest with you, I don't, if I have to do it again, I will. But um, it, it will be a first, okay? Um, Pam has an uncle in, uh, in Lakeland, Florida. He has no children. Uh, his wife died um, several years ago. And, um, and he has he has had to be re relocated to an assisted living. And um, he has no family uh, down there and, and not a lot of family even here. We're the closest family to him. And um, so, so we're leaving out Monday. There's, I was trying to do this before this class started. First of all, we're having class, okay? We're having class next week, all right? It's just my mug's going to be right there on that wall and I'm going to be teaching the class from Lakeland, Florida, okay? All right, so... But we tried to figure out a way to get this done to go help him. We've got to clean out his house so that, um, so that he can uh, just move on with his life, okay? So, and obviously he can't. He's 83, Pam? 83 years old. So anyway, um, so we're going to, we couldn't figure out any way to do it and not miss a Sunday and not miss a, a Wednesday. So we will be here Wednesday. I mean, we will be here Sunday. Um, because what we're doing on Sundays right now, listen, if y'all are not getting, I, oh, sweet Jesus, I, there's a sermon series now called The Fellowship of the Mystery that you need to get your hands on, all right? And it's free. I'm not selling you anything. But I didn't want to miss Sunday, and I certainly don't want to miss Wednesday, and so trying to figure out how to make that work. So we're heading out super, super, super early. Monday, we're going to drive down there. Um, we're going to work day and night uh, with the exception of a two-hour break on Wednesday, I'm going to uh, live stream the class to everybody that's been watching on Facebook and everybody that will be here next week, okay? Um, and so thank you for, for just, amen. It's, amen. Thank you for just understanding, I guess. The last thing in the world that I want to do is we've got momentum and you don't want to interrupt it, okay? And um, so that's, that's what will be happening next week. So Come, if you hear anybody say, Pastor Mark's out of town, not having class, shut that down, okay? Um, I am out of class. Sister Erin's going to be, uh, Graham's teaching Tier 2 for me uh, next week. Erin's going to be teaching you ladies. Uh, she does a great job. Thank you, Erin, for that. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning. And um, so that's what's up with all of that. Be praying for us. Um, obviously, it's a lot of memories. Pam's aunt, stuff that's never been cleaned out of that house. I 
we are not going to Disney World. We are not going to the beach, okay? I promise you that. We, we're going to work. Praise God. Angels to help me. Please pray for us. Um, we're going to miss you greatly. Um, but we'll be on the wall. We'll do this. It's going to work. God's going to help me. I've never just stood there and talked like that without anybody else in the room. It's going to be interesting to see how all that goes. But God's going to help us. But I love you. Thank you. Blessings. Good things coming. Everything you put your hand to is prosperous in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to get that uh, series where I can listen to it. Okay. Okay. Um, because I know I've caught a few of them. You know what I mean? There should be... Uh, there should be, uh, oh man, you know what I didn't do? Sorry, I missed the last You're fine, bro.